Chapter 11 of The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by T.R. Love of Pleasant Hill, California. The Story of the World, A Simple History for Boys and Girls by Elizabeth O'Neill. Chapter 11. Rome, Mistress of Italy The burning of Rome was not the last Italy heard of the Celts. They had invaded Italy before, and for many years afterwards, they continued to make sudden marches against different cities where they thought they could find things to steal. The distances they marched would be wonderful even now for a large army, but for these days when there were no trains and no way to carry their baggage except on horseback, they must have been extraordinary. Twenty years after the burning of Rome, Camillus defeated them at Alba. A few years later, another Roman general marched out against them, but the Celts seemed to have learned to fear their enemies, for they marched past them towards the south. They were again defeated by the Romans a few years afterwards, but in spite of this, we find this extraordinary people only eight years later calmly settling down for the winter at Alba. They enjoyed themselves in their own way by sudden marches on various cities, where they took everything of value and then returned to the Alban Hill. But the next year, the son of the brave Camillus, who was now dead, led a great army against them, and made them go away. There is a wise saying of an old Roman that manliness, upon which every Roman prided himself, grows in opposition. That is to say, when a man has to struggle hard, he will probably become manly. If a nation knows it is in danger of being attacked by an enemy, it must make it watchful, and this is another thing which the Romans liked, watchfulness. One result, then, of these constant troubles with the Celts, and there were troubles from other peoples, too, was to make the Romans ever stronger and more manly. We must remember this, for it helps to explain why the city of Rome became mistress of Italy rather than any other of the cities. Of course, Rome had a very strong position. It was too far from the coast to be attacked by ships of war. It was in the center of Italy, and so could march north or south with equal ease, and thus meet one of its enemies at a time instead of having them all marching against it at once. And also, it was strongly built on hills. The Celts had taken it very easily, but it would have been very different if the Roman soldiers had stayed to defend the walls. We have seen that by the time the Celts took Rome, the Etruscan power had been almost completely crushed. This does not mean that the Etruscan cities could fight no more, or that there were not still some of them which, being far from Rome, still remained free. But while the Etruscans had been so strong long ago that they had put Rome to shame after Tarquin the Proud had been put off the throne, now the best they could hope for was to gain a victory for a moment over a small band of the Romans. When the great Roman army marched against them, they were beaten. 
Some years before the son of Camillus drove the Celts from the Alban Hill, the whole of South Etruria, the country of the Etruscans, was Roman, with Roman fortresses on its boundaries and Roman people living in its towns. But a little later the Etruscans, who became more and more angry as they saw the Roman power creeping always farther into their country, rebelled. Three of the great Etruscan towns sent their soldiers against the Roman army, and when they had taken some men in the battle, they cut them to pieces in the marketplace. This horrible act was soon punished, for in the year that the Celts settled on the Alban Hill, the Roman took from one of these cities, Caer, half of its land and put the city under Rome. The other towns were forced to say they would do nothing against Rome for a long time. The Etruscan power sank lower and lower. The Celts were taking part of what had been their land in the north, and the Etruscan rulers of the city, which were free, ruled so badly that the lower people fought against them, and the rulers asked the Romans to help them. They did, but the cities were not free any longer afterwards. THE GROWTH OF ROMAN POWER All this time the Romans were growing in power in the south, too, so that by the time that she was really mistress of Etruria, she was mistress of all Italy. But this was at the cost of many battles. The Latins did not at all like the Roman position in the Latin League. We have seen that it seemed a very fair agreement, but it really came to mean that Rome used all the strength of the Latin cities as if it was her own. The Romans even took care to keep the Latin cities under them, for when they made an agreement with Carthage for the Latins, the Carthaginians promised not to fight against the Latin cities if they remained friendly to Rome, and if any of them rebelled, it would put them again under Rome. This was very bitter to the cities of Latium, but so many of them had attempted to rebel against Rome between the burning of the city and the year of this agreement, and each had been conquered with so little difficulty that it is hardly to be wondered at that they did not rebel at once again. But the ill feeling was there, and apparently the Romans knew it. Before, however, the Latins attempted to fight against Rome, that city went to war with a very powerful race of hillmen who lived to the south of Rome in part of the highland which runs through the heart of Italy. Many years before, bands of these hillmen had poured down into the plain of Campania, south of Latium. They seized the large and important towns Capua, which had before belonged to the Etruscans, and Cumae, which was a Greek settlement. These Samnites, companions as we may call them, settled down in the new country and very soon became less hardy and brave than their relatives who still lived in the hills. But the hillmen came down again and again, and the companions began to fear them so much that at last they sent to the Romans to ask for help. The Romans compelled the Samnites to make peace. Whether they would have been so content to make peace, we do not know, if they had not feared a rebellion of the Latin cities. The storm quickly burst. The companions, jealous of the Roman power, which they had been so glad to call upon when they were in danger, 
joined the Latin cities, and the position of the Roman army seemed almost hopeless. They had gone south to help the companions, and now the armies of the Latin cities stood between them and home. The Latins, on their side, seemed to feel that, if they were ever to be free, this was their only chance. At the terrible battles of Mount Vesuvius and Trifanum, the great army of the Latins and companions was thoroughly beaten, and in the next two years the Roman army completely conquered all the towns that still held out. The League of Latin Cities came to an end forever. These victories made Rome mistress of the plains of Latium and Campania. In some cases, Rome made agreements with the separate cities, but other towns had a far different fate. The walls were pulled down, and the inhabitants were sent away from their homes, or they were made into colonies, and these were dotted about over the country so as to protect Rome against the attacks of her enemies. The colonies were really very often fortresses, and they would be used to gather Roman armies together. Thus, Fragelle, the name of a colony on the road called the Latin Way, was on the river Lyris, and therefore would protect an army wishing to cross it on the way to Campania. This colony would be like a Roman sword between Latium and the Campanians. The Roman army could march swiftly down this road and be quite sure that food and all that was necessary would be ready for them in the colony. We can easily see from the wise way Rome did its work that there must have been many great and wise men in the city, and if the acts of the Romans sometimes seem very cruel, we must remember that they thought, as the cities around them very clearly thought also, that against such wild and savage fighters as the Celts and Hillmen, not Rome alone or any one city could be successful, but only Rome with the army of the Italian cities faithfully helping them. So the battles in Latium continued until the last resistance was finally broken down, when Privernum was taken and its leader was executed in Rome. Only a few years after this, war broke out once more with the Samnites. The hillmen had objected to the Romans making colonies on the very borders of their land, but they had not sufficient wisdom to object strongly enough at the right time. The Romans had therefore made themselves very strong in Latium before the second struggle broke out. The story of this war is not very interesting, but the Romans suffered one shameful defeat in it which we must mention. At first, however, they were everywhere victorious, so much so that the Samnites even grew so frightened that they asked the Romans to be at peace. The Romans refused, and now the Samnites fought even more vigorously, as men will when they have nothing to hope. Misled by false news, the Romans were led to march through a place which was shut in on both sides by high hills. The entrance to this place was very narrow indeed, and so was the outlet from it. It seemed very terrible and mysterious as the army marched quickly through, but they were thoroughly frightened when they found at the outlet a great barrier with hundreds of Samnite soldiers behind it. Quickly they marched back, only to find that the entrance had been stopped in the same way. 
On the hilltops on both sides, they now saw the Samnite soldiers. They could not move backward or forward. They could not fight as they had been used to, and so they were compelled to give in. That was bad enough, but it was not all. The Samnites made the Roman generals promise to destroy the strong town Fragile and another colony and to make a league with the Samnites. Then the Samnites made the disgraced Roman soldiers put their weapons on the ground and go under the yoke, it asked, creep under a spear which rested upon two other spears stuck upright in the ground. This was the most shameful thing that could happen to any soldier, for it meant that he who went under the yoke owned that the others were completely his master. The conquered generals had promised to do what the Samnites had asked, and so had been allowed to go back to Rome with the army. But when they told the Romans what they had agreed to do, the Romans were very angry and refused to do these things. This was, of course, very dishonorable, for if the generals had not agreed, they would not have been allowed to go home. But the Romans thought that they could not give up all that they had won just because two of their generals had fallen into a trap. They prepared to go to war again. A new Roman army was formed quickly, and the Samnites were defeated, and themselves made to pass under the yoke. The Romans must have enjoyed paying the Samnites back for the shame they had made them suffer. The battle was at Luceria, over the Apennine Mountains, in the southwest of Italy, and the town was made into a fortress to protect the Roman power there. Other victories followed, and so the Samnites, by trapping the Romans, had not destroyed the power of Rome as they thought. They had simply made it more powerful still for she now had a strong colony to the east of the country of the Samnites. A great Roman road at this time was built to Capua. It was the famous Appian Way, good roads joining far-off colonies, colonies in strong towns in a district which had been made Roman. These were the chief ways in which more and more of Italy fell into the power of Rome. When the war with the Samnites was over at length, after twenty years, it might have been thought that the Romans would have been finally acknowledged as rulers of Italy, especially as their wisdom in peace was even greater than their courage and skill in war. For the Romans very seldom were cruel to their enemies. They generally offered to let them enjoy some of the privileges of being a Roman citizen if they promised to help their conquerors and to be faithful to them. Now, after the war with the Samnites, more fortresses were built, and more of those strong, straight roads to carry the Roman armies swiftly from one to another. Yet the Samnites could not easily give up their freedom and acknowledge the Romans their masters, and this is what those strong towns up and down Italy meant. They were really chains, Whenever and wherever the Samnites wished to leave their hill country, they found a strong Roman colony in their way. The Etruscans had recently rebelled against the Romans, and now they made up their minds to try once more, but this time they intended to join with the Samnites. The Romans found another enemy marching against them. 
The result of this was that the Romans had to fight armies in the far south of Italy, in Campania and in Etruria. But although there were times when it looked as if the future mistress of the world would be destroyed, Rome came out of this terrible war victorious once more. Again, colonies were settled over the conquered country, one being far south on the Appian Way, and no fewer than 20,000 colonists were sent there. In this way, the south was made Roman. The two large states in the south of Italy, Apulia and Lucania, being put under her. She was not so strong that wars could not arise again, but with the exception of the struggle with the Greeks in Italy, which must be told in the next chapter, almost the whole of Italy had now been conquered by Rome. She had fought for several hundred years, but now, in the year 290 BC, when strong towns in almost every part of the country reminded men of the Roman power, she was practically mistress of the whole of Italy. The practical, orderly spirit of the Romans had made itself felt. The clever men in the city, ruling while their brothers fought in the distant wars, or wisely deciding what to do in the many difficult questions that arose, with whom they should make friends, whom they should treat mildly, whom they should punish harshly, had really made Rome the great city she was. The Romans had not the imagination of the Celts, nor the artistic feeling and curiosity into the reasons of things which marked the Greeks, but they had a strong practical common sense, a wisdom which was more valuable than either in fitting them to rule over many peoples. Now this strong young nation is to be brought face to face with the old and splendid Greek race. Perhaps one might regret that the Romans won, if it were not that, by that fact, much of the beauty and splendor of ancient Greece has been preserved for all time, for peoples in the most distant ages to enjoy and grow better through them. End of chapter 11